this definition of love inside. It says, love is the biggest big word of all. Four little letters that help you walk tall. Love is your family, your siblings, your friends. Love is your ocean without any end. What do you think about that? I think there's some good stuff in there. And now, I, don't get me wrong, there's, it's a rhyme, it's poetic, so there's stuff that you have, just kind of have to imagine a bit. But is this what love is? Is this, what, is this children's book capturing what love is, like really is? And that's just one example. Our world has hundreds of definitions of what love is, but all those definitions, I think, have at least two things in common. First is who they're directed toward. All the world's definitions of love are directed at us. It's about us. It's about me, mine, for me, our. And the second thing about those definitions is I don't know if you guys, it has struck me, even me, that how, how much, how easily I just pass over this, but how important this is to get. There's something missing in this definition of love. There's something missing in the world's definition of love. Do you know what it is? Do you know who it is? All the world's definitions of love never include God. They're missing the biggest big thing that we were designed to have and to be with. And they're missing the biggest big thing we were designed to do with love, which is glorify God, exalt Him and make Him known. Well, so if, those, if that's not a, de a right definition of love or a complete definition of love, well, what is? What does God say about love? How is God glorified? Well, let's give thanks that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he gave some instruction on what this is. So, would you stand as we read this morning in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 31, all the way through 35 this morning. This is God's word. When he had gone out, that's Judas... Jesus, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. May have a seat. We should glorify God with love. 
Judas, who had received love from Jesus, as we talked about last week, ultimately rejected him and headed out to betray Jesus, to get Jesus put to death. But what Judas didn't know, and what we need to know, is that his betrayal is itself part of God's plan to be glorified with love. So here's the question for our text today. How is God glorified with love? Well, first, God is glorified by Jesus' sacrificial love. When he had gone out, Jesus said, in verse 31, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. <laughs> That's a lot of glorify. <laughs> so here's the question. How does Jesus' sacrificial love glorify God? Well, when I say sacrificial love, we have to understand what Jesus is talking about here when he says, now is the Son of Man glorified. He's talking about the cross. The cross reveals the nature of God. That's one way, way Jesus' sacrificial love glorifies God. Because Jesus says in verse 31, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. What's the now Jesus is talking about? Well, we've been, as we've been studying the Gospel of John, G Jesus is in his final, what he called, hour. And that hour is where all the events of his life, all the purpose for which he came is culminated. And what's culminated? Where is it culminated? His death. And I know we've heard this in, in the church many times. And in some ways, that's praise God for that. And I hopefully many more. But may we never lose the wonder at which what one theologian called the supreme moment of divine self-disclosure. That greatest moment of displayed glory that was in the shame of the cross. That's where the Son of Man is glorified. So what does that say about God? Well, first of all, it says that His ways are not our ways. What looks like the worst reason to believe someone is God in the flesh is actually in God's economy, the greatest reason to believe him. Because at the cross, we see that God is truly a God of sacrificial love. 1 John 4, verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Our God is a loving God. The cross reveals that nature about him. He loves people at the cross. And secondly, the cross exalts God the Father because Jesus says, God is glorified in him. God is glorified in Jesus. Now the logic is pretty simple. Jesus, the Son of Man, is glorified at the crucifixion, and when he is glorified, he glorifies the Father who sent him. How does he do that? Why? Why does he... Why is God the Father glorified at the death of his Son? Because at the cross, Jesus is doing exactly what God the Father has wanted and decreed that should be done. 
Before the foundation of the world, the scripture says. And the reason Jesus did it was because Jesus loves the Father and wants so much to do the will of his Father that he went to this kind of length to make God the Father known, which is what one of the ways that God is glorified. That's what he's talking about when he says glorified. He's making God as he is known. And this tells us that God is glorified through the self-sacrifice and other displaying love of Jesus toward his heavenly Father. The cross is not just about God's love for us, as great as that is. But it's about us seeing God's love within himself. We worship a God who is three in one, Trinity. Love existed before we did. And love can only exist in a community. And God in himself, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, can do that. They have been loving each other from eternity past, present, and to into eternity future. And as they love each other, even in this display at the cross, God is glorified. God is exalted. But also, not just the Father is exalted, but the Son is exalted by the cross. Because it says, if God is glorified in him, God the Father is glorified in Jesus, God the Father will also glorify Jesus in himself. It's a little strange way to say it, but he will do it at once. And what does this mean? Well, let's take a step back and let's, uh, let's look at how we were designed. We were designed to glorify God. We were created to glorify God. And we were created to represent and reflect who he is to the creation around us, to one another, to all of creation. But what happened? What went wrong? We sinned. We failed. We failed to do what we were designed to do, to be who we were designed to be. Because our first parents, Adam and Eve, they chose their own way of how to reflect themselves to the world around them instead of God. And when we who bear what's called the image of God, that same image of God, now we display a broken image. And the world around us is, just bro is broken in part because of it. But the scripture says, but God. Jesus, who is the only begotten Son from the Father, came and did what we could not. He came and faced the same kind of temptations that Adam and Eve did, and he didn't fail. Instead of glorifying himself, he chose to glorify God as he, was, as he and we are designed to do. And in so doing, Philippians 2 tells us that therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this isn't just something far out there. This is something that happened when Jesus was lifted up at the cross. This is what, this is what happened 
three days after his death where God raised him from the dead. This is what happened when Jesus was ascended to the heaven to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's already now Lord of all. That's what he means when he says, and God will glorify him at once. We should glorify God with love. And one of the ways we do that is how we respond to the most shameful moment in history. Do we see it as something to be avoided and something to be looked like, oh, that's... We shouldn't talk about that. We should just... That was a loss on God's part. Or do we see it as it really is? Do we see glory and love meeting together there, and Jesus' sacrifice on it becoming the great hub around which the spokes of our life come. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we as a church believe, which we as the people of God believe, of what we were formed by, has the cross, this self-sacrificial love, as its main event. We should glorify God with love. And Jesus tells his disciples this at a critical point. Because something has to happen for Jesus to be fully glorified. What does he say? He says, where I am going, you cannot come. In Jesus being glorified, it means he has to go away. And I don't know about you, But if we don't believe that God is glorified in Jesus' sacrificial love at the cross, I don't think we would ever have the saving faith that would remain while Jesus is not physically present. The disciples had been with Jesus for three years, day in, day out, every moment. They saw him face to face, something that we don't have right now. It's easy to believe somebody when they're face-to-face. When my first grandfather died, I wasn't there to see it. I didn't see his body. And for a while, I didn't believe it. I chalked it up like, he can't be dead. There's no way. But he was. So how how are the disciples to have faith? when Jesus is not physically present? How is God glorified with love when Jesus has to leave? Second, God is glorified where he loves and is loved. He says in verse 33, he says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. If Jesus is leaving, where can love be found with him? Well, first, love can be found with Jesus in being part of his family. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Now, if you've read the first letter of the letter of 1 John, you'll recognize that phrase. I think this is where John got it. 
little children. He says over and over and over again to the people of the church. And what is this? This is a term of affection. This is a term of family. Now, some of you might be put off by that because you don't like being called a child. Well, good news. Jesus was speaking to grown men, and he called them little children. He wasn't calling them that to insult them. But he was proclaiming the reality that for anyone who believes in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, we are little children who have been adopted by God into his family. So for Jesus to tell us little children is for him to tell us who we really are. And we should praise God that we are children of God. We should love that Jesus calls his disciples little children. Because love can be found with Jesus in being part of his family. So he uses that identifier, little children. And second, love can be found with Jesus actually in Jesus going away. Because after he says, little children, I am with you just a little while longer. You will seek me, he says. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. You guys will seek me, he says. You will look for me, but you're not coming where I'm going. Now, if you've ever had to leave family members after visiting them, it's hard to leave. I mean, unless you've had a blow-up. But, <laughs> but if it's been really good, I remember vacations with my grandparents. Going down there, it would be so hard to leave. You don't want to say goodbye. You want to stay forever. So here's the question. How is this loving of Jesus? Well, there's two ways that this is loving of Jesus. First, where's Jesus going? Well, we'll get to the ultimate destination in a little bit. But where's he going before that? We just talked about it already. Where's he going before that? The cross. And the sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world and the saving of God's people is reserved for only one person. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Where he goes and what he accomplishes when, he there, when he's there, we can't do. We can't save ourselves. We cannot be our own Savior. If we could, why would Jesus need to die? We can't pay for our own sin, much less anyone else's. Yet Jesus can, and he does, and he displays his love by leaving to go there. But that leads to the second way, because the cross is not his ultimate destination. It's heaven with his Father. And no one can get to heaven if Jesus does not go that way first. Now he just says here, as I've said to the Jews, so also I say to you, where I am going you cannot come. Do you remember when he said that the last couple times in this gospel? He said it in two places, in John chapter 7, verse 34, and John, verse 8, John 8, verse 21. And I would encourage you to look at those at a point. But I want to highlight something. 
when he says this same thing to the Jews, he adds stuff to it. And when he says what he said to the Jews here, to his disciples, he takes stuff out. He omits certain things. Do you know what he, what, what's missing when he, he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He does not say, from John chapter 7, verse 34, he does not say to his disciples, and you will not find me. And he also doesn't say, from John chapter 8, verse 21, and you will die in your sin. Jesus takes those out says, where I am going, you cannot come. And later, as we'll look, he says, but you will follow later. Now that's love. The disciple, the one who trusts Jesus, who believes him, will find Jesus. The one who trusts Jesus, who is his disciple, who follows him, will not die in sin. You will not die in your sin if you trust Jesus. Even if it's this morning, you trust Jesus, you will not die in your sin. You can receive forgiveness. We should glorify God with love, where He loves and is loved because he's going away. And Jesus gets more specific about what must happen and about how to glorify God while he's away. I've had some conversations with some people and maybe you've thought about it, maybe you've heard it too, that a lot of people these days, because of just all sorts of chaos going on around the world, that these are the end times. You heard that? Now, whether that's right, that this is the end, right at the end, I can't say. No one can legitimately say. Scripture says, no one but God knows. I do know that according to Scripture, we've been in the final age, the end times, since the Apostle Paul wrote Thessalonians. So here's a question whether it is or isn't, what are the people of God to do? Are we supposed to do something different because it's the end? What are we supposed to do? Well, the people of God, us, you and me who believe Jesus, are called to do something very specific. We are called to get ready for the end in a way that profoundly glorifies God. And it's not sitting on our hands in fearful waiting, thinking that we've paid our dues. He wants to be glorified with love. So finally, God is glorified when his people love. Because he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give you, kind of as on the basis of the fact that I am leaving, I, who am love, am leaving a new command I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
God is glorified when his people love. So there's a few questions that we have to ask here because Jesus says some things that if you think about it, it's like, wait, how is that the case? Well, the first question is, is how is this new? I mean, God from the very, from the very beginning when he established the nation of Israel told them, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he also said in Leviticus, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And then that comes back when Jesus' ministry, when, he's, when people ask him, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives them two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So love's already there. How is this new? Well, it's new in a few ways. Because he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is new in that Jesus does something at the cross that's beyond loving himself. Love your neighbor as yourself is, our, is to be our posture with the people of the world, those who don't believe or yet believe Jesus. But what he says here, just as I have loved you, just as I have sacrificially loved you, at the expense of myself, to build you up, to give you life, to encourage you, to help you remain faithful, I want you to love your brothers and sisters that way. Because who's the one another? That's the other, another question. Who is the one another in this chapter? Disciples. Brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the church. Jesus says we are to love the people of the church in this kind of way. And what kind of way is that? Now, people make a big deal about the word agape, which is the word that is used here for love. The Greek has four different kinds of words for love. Agape, phileo, eros, and storge. And they can mean very different things, but in John's Gospel, they're all used interchangeably. But when we think about an agape kind of love, a loved as Jesus loved, what do we need to think of? And I would say a lot of us think about Jesus' love in terms of sacrifice, in terms of him sacrificing himself, which is good, which is correct. And then we translate that to ourselves and we say, okay, I need to sacrifice myself to love somebody. So I love somebody sacrificial. And that's correct. But I think we miss something when we just keep it at that. It's not just self-sacrifice. It's other building. You're not just sacrificing yourself to sacrifice yourself. You're sacrificing yourself to build up your brother and sister. You are sacrificing yourself to show them how much Jesus loves them. Has it ever happened to you in your life? Where someone has shown you Jesus' love? 
What kind of, how do you feel about that? Do you feel humbled? Blessed? Rejoicing? Grateful? What I'm saying is we need to think about both. Both that it is sacrificial on our part and that it can pull someone up from a murky pit. I have had a senior pastor once. He says our default mode is not encouragement as human beings. It's not. We... We don't walk around, maybe there's one person in this world, maybe, who walks around 100% of the time always encouraged. Maybe you're getting close, Terry. But, <laughs> but no, we don't. We get discouraged by this, that, or the other thing. What do we need? We need continual reminders that Jesus is on the throne, that Jesus has sacrificed himself so that we would have life, so that we would be built up. There's one other question I want to ask about this, but before we get there, I have to ask this question. What makes it hard for you to love somebody in the church? Some of you come from backgrounds, and maybe even in this church, God forbid, but some of you come from backgrounds where you were burned more by people in the church than anywhere else. And some people have written the church off because of that. We should grieve that as a church. We should repent if that is our attitude that we are not following this. But just because but I would say because that has happened that does not mean that Jesus has somehow missed it here. No, the church is to be a place and a people where we are to love one another, to build one another up. And in order to do that, this might be hard for probably all of us, we are going to have to risk getting into each other's lives. We are going to have to risk being hurt. Because when you met, when the church would be a perfect place if it weren't for sinful people. But guess what? We're all here. And you have a sinful pastor who's being redeemed. And you are redeemed if you trust Jesus. And we are being sanctified. But it's a process. And Jesus says, just as I have loved you, who took the form of a servant, Philippians says, and made himself nothing, to rescue us who weren't worthy and deserving of being rescued. That's how he loved. And that's how he wants his people to love each other. And that leads us to the, the question, what, is that love, what does our love tell the world? Because Jesus says in verse 35, by this, this love for one another, this love for brothers and sisters in the church. By this, not by our necessarily charitable acts out there, though those are good and those are commanded. 
Not by our successful business, not by all this other stuff. By this, Jesus says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What does our love tell the world? Well, according to this passage, if we heed this, our love for one another is to be the most powerful witness to the world that we are disciples, not just of anybody, not just of anything. We are disciples of Jesus. Now, I have a, now the question I have is, well, let me make it this, this make it state it this way, sorry. We have been speaking on multiple occasions as we have been going through a process of prayer, process of discussions, meetings, all sorts of things related to moving to a new building. And it has come up on multiple occasions, and I think we feel it as a need to reach out to our community, to engage our community. And in the previous meeting, I offered just a hypothetical glimpse of what that might be like to welcome people in. But here's the question. What are we welcoming people to? I don't think we're here, but I'll mention it anyway, just as a, as a caution. Are we welcoming people to a community that despises one another, that holds grudges, bickers, fights, latches on to controversies and quarrels? Or do we welcome them to a people who speak the truth in love, Do we welcome them to a community that does not fight each other, but fights for each other? Because we are not our enemies. Do we welcome them to a community that loves deeply? A love that goes into each other's lives, sees the depravity for what it is. It's there. You come talk to me if you don't think it's there. I'll tell you about some of mine. And it besets all of us in different manifestations. But the community of God, the people of God, are to love one another into and through that. Because Christ came not to leave us in our sinful state, but to walk, up, walk us and lead us through and out of it. We should be a community that does not make assumptions about one another's motives, but a community that walks by faith. A community that walks in pursuing God's best for each other. And Jesus says that the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. God is glorified when his people love and we should love we should glorify God with love I asked at the beginning what are some definitions of love and what's God's definition of love we've seen it here the apostle Paul also brings it up 
in the midst of talking about how things are operating in the church, he talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, probably familiar, where he says, beginning in verse 4, he says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. As I was studying to prepare this message this week, um, I found a helpful tool someone, a a theologian and former pastor, gave about this little passage here. You want to know the heart of God? You want to know God glorified through love, with love? These pa- this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 through verse 7, you replace love or it with his name, Jesus. And you get Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way, even though he has every right to do so. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And we could even go on. Jesus never ends. We should glorify God with love. This is to be our mark, church, of who we are as a people. To display Christ in a self-sacrificial, other-building way. Let's glorify God with love. 